So we're in our Luke series. Uh, we've been working through Luke, and we're on chapter 8. And um, we're at the, the story of uh, Jesus in the storm. And uh, I think it's, it's funny how um, st- stories in our sermons often end up being very appropriate for the week that they're on. We pray and we ask God, okay, Lord, you set out the schedule and we're working through this. And, you know, sometimes we celebrate holidays and we do different topics, but um, it's amazing how things like this tend to hit us in a week where we need it. And especially this week, I know Lauren's mentioned it and Brian mentioned it, but um, maybe you were deeply encouraged by the American elections. Maybe you weren't. Um, Either way, I think most people would agree that this has been a very bitter and divisive period of time for the American people. And that they now have to work through how are they going to walk forward together through this. I watched on the news as it was happening. You saw people crying. They were shocked. There was surprise in it. And I think the question comes for us in the same way is, what do you do when circumstances hit you in a way that shocks you or surprises you or knocks you off your path where that you were walking on? What happens? How do you deal with that? For us, maybe it's finances. Maybe it's a debt or a bill. For me this week, it was I, my, my engine light came on and I took the car into the shop and they said, it's just a wire that the mouse, a mouse chewed, crawled up in there and chewed the wire. And I said, that's great. How much does a wire cost? And they said, 20 bucks. I said, that's awesome. And they said, but the wire's way inside of your car. And that's $200. So I was like, okay, that's a surprise. It's a bit of a surprise, a mouth wire. Can we just leave it? Can we leave it? Or maybe it's your family. Maybe you're struggling with sickness or, or conflict in your family that's knocking you off. Or maybe it's your job. Maybe there's new responsibilities or a difficult coworker that suddenly you're dealing with and it's knocking you off balance. What do we do when circumstances come against us like that? And even more so, what do we do when we feel like God led us there? And then we have difficult circumstances. That's a challenging question. And that's our story this morning. Let's read together Luke chapter 8, verses... Uh, 22 to 25. One day he, being Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples. And he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, master, master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said to them, where's your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that commands even winds and water, and they obey him? My big idea this morning is this. Everywhere Jesus leads us is an opportunity to trust him. Everywhere Jesus leads us is an opportunity to trust him. And for my three points, I'm a three-pointer. I thought I'd do like a really pastor-ish thing. Maybe it's Pentecostal, I don't know, but where I make you repeat my points back. So we're going to do that today, okay? (laughs) 
It's always weird when I do this, but then people say, I actually remembered it later. It's funny. Okay, so here, here we go, okay? You're going to repeat after me, okay? <laughs> you guys are not sure at all. I got a lot of, like, very mixed looks right now, okay? So we're going to do this, and since I have the microphone, I'm going to make you do it, okay? So my first one is invited. We are invited to follow. In- so invited to follow. Okay, good. Through storms for his glory. Invited to follow through storms for his glory. There we go. That wasn't so hard, was it? He's repeating me. There we go. There we go. Stop now. Stop. Come on, Phil. We are invited to follow. We're invited to follow. In our family, um, Lauren and I are both adventurous in different ways. Um, so I'm adventurous in the way that I would take our family and move to Azerbaijan happily. I mean, not right now, but because we're church planning. But we have done that, and that was an idea I had that I thought was really awesome. And I'm adventurous in that way. So I would do that. I'd move our entire family to another country, and that would be really exciting to me. But I won't drive a different way to work. or to school, or anywhere that I know. And that's how I know that if I'm driving somewhere and I'm lost, I know who to blame. It's the person sitting beside me who said, let's go this way, let's drive this road. And we go off and we're driving some other way. I know exactly who to blame because that's not the way I roll. That's the way Lauren rolls. She's happy to do that. And so when I hear this story and I picture the pasty-faced disciples in the boat, and the waves and the the winds blowing, and it's like a storm, I can just picture them in the boat, and they're bailing or whatever they're doing, and I can can picture it. They're, they're, They're saying to one another, whose fault is this? Peter! Peter! Is this, was this your idea, Peter? And Peter's in there, psh, no, it wasn't me. I Usually it is, but it wasn't me. And then they're like, Philip, it must be Philip. He's got ideas, Philip. And they're, yeah, and they're trying to figure out whose fault is this that we're in this storm? Whose idea was it that got us here? And in all the accounts, so this story's in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke. And in every account you can see that they remembered after the fact. Who was it? It was Jesus. It was Jesus. It says in verse 22, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. In Mark, he says the same thing. In Matthew, there's no talking. So Matthew has a little bit less detail. There's no talking, but Jesus gets in the boat and they all follow Jesus. It's still very clear. Jesus leads the way on this one. And the point is that sometimes it's Jesus who's led us exactly where we are. Jesus led us there to exactly where we are. Often we think if things are hard or if they're bad or if they're challenging, it must be the devil who led me here. And God must, I don't know where God went. Maybe, I don't know, he got distracted or something and, and I've ended up going the wrong way. I took a wrong turn and I left God. He must be over there because things are hard or they're challenging or they're difficult. And when I look in the Bible, when God leads, what happens and where does he lead? So I took the, the most famous story of God's leading the people and I looked at it. It's the story of when God led the people out of Egypt 
Pharaoh, let my people go. There's a song about it. And, and so, but it's famous. All through the rest of the Bible, they talk about this. When they go and they meet a new nation, people say, oh, oh, you're that, you're those people, and your God is the God who led you out of Egypt. Yeah, we heard about it. And so when I look at that story, God, you know, if you don't know the story, God comes through Moses, and the people of, of his people, the people of Israel, are enslaved in Egypt. And so Moses comes and says, let my people go. God says, let my people go. And the, there's the, the, um, the plagues and all this stuff. And God, finally, Pharaoh says, yes, take them, take them, go, go, go. And they come out. And then what happens is God says through Moses that he is going to lead his people. He's going to lead them in a cloud. And so in the daytime, when they see the cloud, they'll know God is leading them. And when the cloud moves, they'll move. And when the cloud stops, they'll stop. And at night, when you can't see the cloud, God says, I'm going to become a pillar of fire. I'm going to be in that pillar of fire, and I will lead you. So at night, when the pillar of fire moves, you move. And when the pillar of fire stops, you stop. And they said, okay, yes. Okay, where is God going to lead us? Following the cloud. Following the pillar. Where is it going? And the very first place God leads them, I don't know, maybe he was just getting warmed up. He took them right into a dead end. Right into a de- right into the Red Sea on one side, and the e- Egyptian army realizes this was a bad idea, and they come rolling in behind. What is God thinking? Leading the people right up to the Red Sea. This is the story. And then phew, the sea parts, and God leads them through. And that's the part everyone remembers. Oh, your God's the God who parted the sea and led his people through. That's your God. I think about Jesus, who gets ambushed in the desert by, when he's tempted by Satan. And I look at that story saying, how did Jesus end up there? Like, he should have stayed away from Satan. No, Satan's always in the desert. That's a deserty Satan place, right? She shouldn't go in there. But then you look at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 2. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Man, if God is trying to lead us into places where it's all peaceful and it's all quiet and it's all calm and there's no conflict and no pain and no struggle, then he isn't doing a good job if that's what he's trying to do. So who's to blame? Because I'm looking for someone to blame usually. I get in that situation. My first thing is, who can I blame about this? Usually Lauren's the closest person, so I'll blame her. And if it's not her fault, I can blame my kids, or then I'm going to blame God. We want to blame God. If your job is sucking the life, the joy from your soul, or you go into debt fixing your house or your car, or you're no longer experiencing love and passion for your spouse, or you battle crippling addiction, or you're held back with chronic sickness, or whatever the circumstance is that's crowding you, I'm looking for someone to blame. So is it God? Can I blame God if he's led me into places or circumstances that are challenging? Why does he do that? Why does he do that? I have three reasons. You ready? I'm going to write this down. Three reasons. The first reason that God leads us into places or circumstances that are challenging. The first reason is you still live on earth. 
You live on planet Earth, and Earth is broken and bent. It's, got, it's ravaged by the fall, by sin, and it needs to be renewed. And as long as we live here on this globe, we are going to experience hardship and difficulty. And the, Romans 8 says, the Earth groans and waits, and we groan and wait for the time when all, it's all changed, and we experience resurrection and redemption. You're still here on Earth. Number two. You still are here on earth. You ready? Number one, you still are, you can remember these. Number two, you're still here on earth. Heaven is your home. Earth is not your home. It's meant to be, we're meant to long for heaven. We're meant to long for that time when we see God face to face. So earth, earth is always going to, there's going to be struggle. Heaven is where we have no more tears and crying. Earth, not so much. Heaven is where we're fully and finally made to be. We fully and finally experience who we were made to be. With all freedom. And thirdly, can you guess what my third reason is? You are still here on earth. You are still here on earth. And you are being changed. You are being changed. This is the experience we have. I would love that as soon as I gave my heart to God in trust and in faith, and I experienced, you know, that God sets me free, and I experience all of that in Jesus, that I would be perfect. I would love that. That's not the case. We're not perfect in that moment. We are on a journey, and slowly and surely, by the power of his Spirit in us, we become changed little by little over time. And so as we become changed, we experience difficulty and hardship. That it's part of what refines us and grows us to become more like him. When Jesus calls his disciples to follow him, he doesn't give them very much detail. You'll notice that. He's like, come follow me. And they're like, okay. And they come follow him. He doesn't say, come and follow me for riches. Come and follow me for pleasure or for happiness. He just says, follow me. And at some point, you're going to have to trust that where Jesus is leading you is the best way. So we went to Wild Man Weekend. Wild Man Weekend is, um, it's up at Chilliwack Lake Camp. Now, I've been there many times, but I've actually never driven there. So I got in my car, Brian was in my car, and the boys are in the car. And we ran into Paul and Josiah at Subway in Abbotsford. And we were like, oh, let's caravan together. And he's like, okay, I'll, we'll follow you. And I was like, okay. And so we start driving and I'm like, yeah, we're driving. And then Paul starts texting like, which, which exit are you going to take? And I was like, I don't know. I don't actually even know how to get there. So I'm driving and Brian's texting probably like every word I say, dictation. And uh, suddenly I see Paul driving past me and he pulls in front. So he starts leading. And I realized something in that moment. I don't like following. It doesn't matter that I don't know where I'm going. It doesn't even matter. What just matters is I don't want to be out of control. I don't want to have to follow him. I have to trust him then that he knows where he's going. It just so happens that I've been with him lots of times and I know he knows where he's going. But still it grates on me. I don't like it. It means... I'm not in control anymore. I have to follow someone else. Romans 15, 17 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. When we follow Jesus, sometimes it feels like he's taking a wrong turn. We follow and suddenly he's going off that way. And like, no, I was going that way. Aren't we going that way? Jesus, where are you going? 
What, you're leading us into a storm? Whose idea? This was Jesus' idea? That can't, that doesn't seem right. Jesus, do you know what you're doing? And in those moments, we have to understand that the invitation to give up control and to follow him is the invitation to learn to trust. That's what trust is. We learn to say, I'm going to trust that you know what you're doing, Jesus. I'm going to stop backseat driving, and I'm going to embrace what Paul says is joy and peace and hope as I trust him and I follow. We're invited to follow. Okay, you guys missed it. Invited to follow. You guys are going to get it eventually. Through storms. Through storms. I don't have a stormy story. I was trying to think through my life, and I was like, did I? Was I ever in a boat in a storm? And the closest thing I could get to it was I was in a boat, and I was in danger. And so I didn't, wasn't in the storm, but I was in danger on a boat. And I can remember, I'm glad my dad's not here because he'd correct this story probably, but I was a boy. I was 12 maybe, and this is my story, so I remember it this way. And we were going, I lived on Vancouver Island, and we were going to go hunting. My dad and I, he was not really a hunter, but we were going to do this for male bonding, I guess. And so we got in this boat. We heard there's all these deer on this island. And so we, so across this strait, we go to this island. So it's ocean. We get to the island, and we go, and we're hunting, and there's like deer everywhere at these certain, there was like a game reserve on one part of it. So I'm glad we didn't actually hit anything or we'd be in trouble. But we were hunting. We looked everywhere. And I, you know, and then finally it was like time to come back. And so we get back in the boat and it's getting dark. Like it's dusky. And we start going across the strait in this little boat. And suddenly the engine dies. And so, so I was like, oh my goodness. And the, it's choppy. It's ocean water in the strait, but so it's choppy, and uh, the waves are coming, and it's getting darker and darker, and we're yelling, we're calling, the engine won't start, and slowly we begin drifting out to the to open ocean. And I remember that feeling of fear, like realizing we're in real danger. Like, I'm not making, I'm not over-dramatizing, like, I'm in danger. If our boat ends up out in the ocean, and no one hears us, and we drift out there, it's, it's going to get scary. No, how will they even know where we are? And that is the feeling of fear. You know, it's easy in this story to read it and to make it into a metaphor for our lives, which, you know, I'm doing. But it's easy to just see it that way. And the truth is that the disciples weren't living in a metaphor. They really, their lives were really in danger. They experienced a real storm on a real lake. The Sea of Galilee is, it says, a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Now, the Sea of Galilee, which they call it the Sea of Galilee, but it's actually a lake. It's the lowest freshwater lake there is. So it's at 680 feet below sea level. And the hills around it make it uniquely positioned so that the the storms can come in very quickly. And actually, the lake is... It's fairly shallow as far as lakes go, so it's about 200 feet at its deepest. And so people who know more about these things than I do say that it means that the lake can be whipped up very easily. The, it can create lots of waves on this lake when the storms come in quickly. And it's not just like an ancient thing, like, oh, yeah, way back in the day, there were storms in, on the Lake of Galilee. You know, Still, this is happening. In March 1992, there was a storm on the... Sea of Galilee, so strong that it ripped into the town of Tiberias, into the downtown, and created significant damage. Three-meter waves are smashing through this town. So 
this is like fairly recently, there's still storms coming down on this lake that surprise people. Now, the danger isn't just like, oh, there's a storm. Oh, no, well, you know, hide in your house. The, the danger is they're in the middle of the lake. They're not to the side where they can get off or they can, you know, quickly get out of the boat. They're in the middle of the lake. That's the danger. And if you think about the fact that there's a bunch of fishermen in this boat and they're worried and they travel on lakes all the they're in the boats all the time and they're worried for their lives, this is real danger. These are seasoned people saying, we're going to die. We're going to drown. This is not good. I love how long it takes them to wake Jesus. I love that this is in the story. Jesus is sleeping. Like, just, can you even imagine that? I'm just like, I find this so hard to believe. Jesus is sleeping? The waves are crashing over the boat. The rain's pouring down from the heavens. The wind is ripping the sails. And these guys are madly bailing, and they're like, where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? He's sleeping. Mark says he's on a cushion. He's like so exhausted. He's just out to the world. I love that this is in the story, that they have to wake him up. How long does it take you? How long does it take you to realize Jesus is waiting? He's waiting. He's waiting while you bail. He's waiting while you freak out. He's waiting while the storm threatens. He's waiting while the waves crash. He's waiting while you weep and worry and wail. Because Jesus is in the boat with them. Jesus. Matthew 7 verse 8 says this about about, um, our relationship with God. It says, For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus says this. All of these things involve us doing something. There's a step there. We need to ask. It says God loves it when you ask, and he loves to give it. For you to seek, and you're going to find. And for you to knock, how long does it take us? Although this isn't an allegory <laughs> or a metaphor, the, the reality is the same for us. And maybe you can relate to circumstances in your life that threaten you. That's really what their experience is. Circumstances that threaten them. Maybe it's their survival for them. Maybe you've experienced that, a near-death experience. Or maybe it's that your, your peace is threatened. Or maybe it's your faith feels threatened. Or maybe it's your stability. Any of these things feel like a threat to us. The circumstances come in and feel that way. But the reality is storms will come in our lives. Jesus tells a story in Matthew um, chapter 7, verse 24. It's a parable, and he talks about there's two builders— and the one builder is builds his house on the rock, and the other builder builds his house on the sand. And then it says, and then the storms come. And the storms beat against the house on the rock, and they don't do anything to it. And they beat against the house on the sand, and the, the house falls down. And the story doesn't say, you know, well, build up on, the ho- on the, your house on the rock, and then you'll avoid the storms. The storms only come down on the sandy beach. If you build up there, you'll be safe. It doesn't say that. Nor does it say, build your house with bricks, not with hay or straw, like the three little pigs, and you'll avoid the big bad wolf. This is not that story. 
What it says is, what you build your house on matters. And wherever you build it, you're going to encounter storms. So what you build on does really matter. Because storms are going to come. And they're gonna, that's the weather. The weather comes. I woke up this morning. I walked out the door to come here. And I was like, oh, it's raining. I couldn't believe it. And Lauren said, what? You acting surprised. Like, don't you live in this climate? Like, what? Are you surprised? Yes. That's how it is for us. We open. There's a storm. How could this be? That's the weather. It happens all the time. They come. It's about what you trust, where you've built your house. You build it on the rock, which is Jesus, the cornerstone, or you build it on the sand. But either way, it's gonna, there's storms going to come. And I think in the end, Jesus is waiting. He's waiting for us to finish our rant or our franticness. Maybe we, we say things like, you know, where are you, Jesus? Do you even care? Don't you know we went the wrong way. Don't you know we're going to drown, the disciples say? Don't you know I'm in pain? Don't you know I've been battling for years? Don't you see how I'm carrying this load? Don't you see the boat is swamped? Why are you sleeping? Don't you know I'm dry and empty? Don't you know I've given everything? Why did you bring me here? And that's the point. That's the moment where we reach the end of ourselves. When they're done bailing, when they're done freaking out and they say, oh yeah, Jesus is here. Let's wake up Jesus. That's the moment he's waiting for. Because that begins the time where Jesus begins to act. He's waiting for us. Invited to follow. That was (laughs) half-hearted. Invited to follow. Through storms, for his glory. You getting it? You know, I can hardly wait to leave. <laughs> One thing I love about Google is Google, Google Street View. Have you ever experienced this? If you haven't, you should. Google Street View, this is our street. I went on there and Miriam was sitting with me while I did, and she was like, oh, that's our house. I'm like, yeah, and watch. We can click down the street. You can click, and you can actually go. I could go anywhere in the world and click down a street, and it's like I'm walking around. And the funny thing about our lives is a lot of time we, we live on street view. And so we're like, okay, what's next? Uh, click that next little arrow. Okay, now turn right or left. Okay, I'm going to turn right. Click that arrow. Oh, what's here? Oh, wow. And then, so you click too early, man. You clicking ahead. <laughs> go back. I was on, I'm still on street view. You, you just ruined my whole thing. I was going to surprise everyone. We live like this. We live on street view. And the truth is, the reality is that God wants to do what Tegan just did. And zoom us out. And when we zoom out, suddenly we can see our neighborhoods. Different areas. The next slide is, includes the school. And that's my house. That's, a, that's the school. This is our neighborhood. And if we screw, zoomed out more, we would see cities. And if we zoomed out more, we would see provinces. And then we would see countries and continents. And we would see the world. It's pretty incredible. This is what we need to experience. Because we live on street view. And God wants to reorient us. He wants to 
give us a different perspective. And maybe we still have to go back and walk out the street view, but it's important that we know this exists. This is what God is seeing. This is where it is. In every account, Jesus questions the disciples. He asks them a question. And in Luke, he says, uh, where is your faith? In Matthew, he says, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And in Mark, he says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And when I read these, sometimes I'm like, oh, the tone really matters in this. If Jesus were saying, where is your faith? We'd be like, whoa, Jesus is he's reprimanding them. This is really bad. He's angry dad Jesus right now. Where's your faith? Do you still have no faith? That's where tone matters. And that's why the more we know Jesus, the more we read and see all the stories of Jesus, the more we know that's not his tone. That's not how he talks. Because no one would want to be around him if he did that. And in fact, everyone wants to be around Jesus. Crowds pressing him all the time. People want to be with Jesus. So... His tone is different. It's not belittling them. It's asking them, it's reminding them that there's a choice between fear and faith that they have to make more than once. The choice between fear and faith, or we could call it fear and trust. It's this choice that we're learning to make as we walk the the Christian journey following Jesus is we're learning more and more to trust, to trust him and to choose not to live in fear, but to live in faith or trust. Psalm 9 verse 10 says, those who know your name will trust in you for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Or Romans 10 verse 11 says, as the scriptures say, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. See, following God has always been about trust and experiencing salvation in Jesus has always been about trust. We trust Jesus and his work at the cross. And walking that out, being changed, the journey of, the, of, the, of transformation has always been about trust. That the work of his spirit is changing us. We have to trust that. Often we start out the journey in trust. We say, yes, I'm going to trust in your work at the cross. So I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to make that step. And then we begin that journey. And then suddenly, ah, we go into fear. We slide into it so easily. And this is what Paul writes to the Galatians. He says, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law? Or by your believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. It's the picture. We're going to choose trust. We're going to keep choosing trust, and we're going to learn more and more to choose trust. The disciples say, when Jesus comes the storm, their first response is, who is this? That's their question. Who is this? Jesus calms the storm with a word. And it's interesting. It's like they marvel. They're in awe. It says they're afraid because, I think, because this, what they just watched, sounds very similar to the Genesis account of creation. When God, out of nothing, speaks a word, there's lots of ways God could do it. He speaks a word. Let there be light. And by the power of his word, things happen. And Jesus, as he stands in the boat and he speaks this word to the storm, they watch as nature responds to Jesus. And they're in awe. Because what they see right now is, is, changes their view of Jesus. 
John says this, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of mankind. And the truth is that if, that, if we really knew Jesus, as the disciples were learning to, and as we learn to, the more we know Jesus, the more we're able to trust him. The more we see, the more we see him, the more we ask, who is this? You say, oh yeah, I know Jesus. Whoa, what, what just happened? Who is this? Wow. And you learn a new part of Jesus. You see more of him. And the more clearly you see him, the more you're able to trust him. Colossians says this about Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So is Jesus worried about a storm? Is he panicked in the boat? In him, all things hold together. He's not worried. You guys, the miracle isn't that the storm gets calmed. I mean, that's a miracle. It's amazing. The miracle is that they see him more clearly. They suddenly see him. And it's not Jesus, oh, the miracle worker. Oh, Jesus, the great communicator. It's not Jesus, the carpenter. It's God. They see him as God, the creator of everything, the firstborn of all creation, almighty, Yahweh, redeemer, rescuer. And their response to this is that they worship. And our response, when we see him more clearly, when we experience Jesus, not our ideas of him or what people say about him, but we experience Jesus, our response is to worship. Oh, Jesus, you're so good. Oh, Jesus, you're so powerful. You're so amazing. Incredible. And Jesus will be glorified in our trial, in our storm. And when we turn to him in trust, when we see him as he is, we will experience worship. We will worship him. Everywhere Jesus leads us is an opportunity to trust him. Firstly, we are invited to follow. You're getting it. By the conclusion, I knew you'd get it. The invitation to follow is an invitation to give up control. To give up control and to let go of knowing our way is the best way and Jesus must not know what he's doing and to follow in trust, to follow him wholeheartedly. Secondly, it's through storms. Yes. I knew I could get you. This life involves struggle. It just does. And as long as we're here on earth, we're going to encounter storms. But Jesus is with us. He's not left us. He's with us. He never left. He's never out of control. And we can trust him when circumstances press in against us. And thirdly, it's for his glory. We've got the double. It's good. Jesus leads us into storms so he can be glorified. The more we see him, the more we trust him. And it's easy to worship him when we see him as he really is. The more clearly we see him, the easier it is actually to worship because of how incredible he is. So we're going to move into a time of response. And um, I want to encourage you that 
um, in all three of those points, there is an opportunity for you to respond. So you're invited to follow. There's some of you here who are still not sure whether you want to follow Jesus or not, and you've been working through that journey, and um, you're here. So on some level, I know you're grappling with this, but the invitation to follow Jesus is there for you that you can respond to that invitation and say, yes, I'm going to follow you. I don't know everything about you. I don't know, you know, about all of this, but I, I'm going to choose to begin walking to follow you and to put my trust in you. And that's an invitation that is there this morning for you to respond to. A second invitation is that some of you are experiencing circumstances that are pressing on you. You feel the pressure and it feels like maybe it's crushing you or maybe you're just feeling it. And you, the opportunity is for you to respond to Jesus in the storm. And the, the picture was, we are going to look at Jesus. We're going to invite Jesus to act and to respond. And so in the midst of your storm, we take, we, the opportunity is to turn to Jesus and ask that he would come and he'd make himself known in the storm, in the circumstance. And the third one is that um, he does these things for his glory. And so for For some of you, it's that we want to turn and fix our gaze on him and move from dealing with this, the circumstance or the struggle we're in to worshiping, to looking at him, to seeing him, to having our perspective altered. And maybe there's some of you this morning who God wants to alter your perspective. You've been really under it. You're in street view and God wants to bring you out and show you more of what he's doing. And in that experience, I guarantee you that when that happens for you, that you will your heart will turn to worship. You will be able to see him and say, oh, Lord, you're good. I trust you in the midst of that.